0: Hey, entrepreneurs! welcome to Film Insight. I'm Evan Plager.
1: And I'm Ben Yenny. And
0: we're going to talk to Angie Wang today. She is the creator of Cardinal X, an independent film that's coming out pretty soon. It
1: actually got a decent amount of attention around both Hollywood and Silicon Valley.
0: Her experience was really fascinating, and a good portion of this front bit is her journey from sales to independent filmmaking.
1: Honestly, being a producer with a background in sales is probably a good bit of
0: training. And the the key word you'll hear in this interview is tenacity. Just going for your passion and not letting it go or have other people distort your vision was really important to her story.
1: I am going to warn that uh, this podcast has more colorful language than a lot of our others. So while it doesn't bother me in the slightest, it may bother some of our listeners. So consider yourselves warned. With us today is Angie Wang. How are you doing, Angie?
2: I'm doing great. I'm uh, trying to keep cool in LA.
1: That's always a challenge.
2: It's hot as fuck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Just because some of our audience might not know, uh, I met Angie at an event I organized with a couple of other people, Roger Royce and Dana Loberg, about film and tech and the intersection therein. Angie represented the filmmaker on the panel, so beyond that, I'll let you tell your story.
2: Oh my goodness. You've given me so much wide open space. <laughs> I don't know where to, where to begin.
1: <laughs> okay.
2: You know, I I moved to San Francisco, to the Bay Area, I'm going to say probably about 20 years ago to kind of seek my fortune in the uh, internet lotto world. I was from New York and I kind of came out as a youngster who kind of wanted to get a feel for the technology field. And, you know, I had a good career selling both consulting services and software. Found myself in a position where I was like, wow, I don't have to do this for a living if I don't want to anymore. And, you know, I had the sort of the privilege and the pain of really kind of doing some introspection and deciding what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I went on a little bit of a winding course. I think something that I try to impress upon people just out of college or people in college who feel like, you know, they're losers because they don't know what they want to do. I, I feel like it takes us a while, you know, and I think that you have to not be afraid to go through that crashing around process. I think my biggest fear was I didn't want to look like an asshole. And uh, at this point in my life, I'm like, I don't really care. <laughs> if I look like an asshole, I look like an asshole. I'm going to have to go through this. So, you know, I tried the stay-at-home mom thing, and that certainly didn't suit me very well. And then I decided to found a, a nonprofit called GROW. It stands for Global Resil- Resiliency Outreach Work. And, you know, we were <clears throat> privileged enough to go into at-risk or, with, I guess, what they call at-risk communities and work with at-risk youth. So. A lot of middle schoolers got to hear their stories, pretty harrowing stories all the way around, um, which resonated with me on a very kind of personal level. You know, what I thought was, well, I can't really impress what these kids are living upon my my would-be donors as well as I'd like to, you know, and I I think – For me, media, filmmaking in particular, film and television, have been extraordinarily powerful mediums to kind of make people feel things at a very visceral uh, level. So I thought, you know, one day, I think I was watching the J.J. Abrams, the second Star Trek movie, which I loved, and I just remember thinking to myself, I got this, like, crazy look in my eye, and I was like, I'm going to make a movie. So, you know, I had to kind of uh, have the humility of a beginner, And, uh, you know, my friends were like, you're fucking bananas. Like, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You've never done this. You've never even taken, you know, you can't even shoot anything on your iPhone. And I thought, well, I'm going to learn. So I figured a good starting place would be film school. So I came down to L.A., enrolled in UCLA Extension, and I quickly discovered that For for where I was in my life, I you know I certainly wasn't going to go and be like an intern at some studio, and I didn't I didn't want to be like a you know a middle aged D girl, like they'd hire me anyway. So Mm -hmm. I thought, well, here's what I know how to do. Took a look at myself, and I was like, here's my skill set: decent salesperson, I'm pretty tenacious, and kind of went through the pain of putting my script together. I've had you know, a story in my head that I wanted to tell for a long time. It's semi-autobiographical. And, you know, I came to that decision in a pretty windy way also because I initially wanted to tell these kids' stories that I was hearing all the time. And my little voice just said, you know what, if you can't, if you don't have the courage to tell your own story first then you really should just hang it up because, you know, you have to have that courage in order for people to trust you to tell their story. So for better or for worse, I, I sat down and I wrote this script And I decided to shop it around a little. You know, I didn't really know where to go with it. So I um, shopped it around through more traditional channels and kind of to my delight and horror, they kind of responded to it. They were like, this is a good story. Maybe you should make a TV. We definitely want to make the lead white. And I was like, well, that's just not happening. Um, (laughs) I actually, (laughs) I got an offer to option it. And I thought this fucking thing could sit on, you know, a shelf for all eternity and uh, never get made. And I'll only see what, like $1,500, some laughable amount of money. Um, And I certainly wasn't in it for the money at that point. So I thought, well, I think I should just put this thing together and do it myself. So, you know, I had to do a lot of kind of crashing around, a lot of digging, a lot of, you know, networking, hounding, stalking. I hooked up with Rick Bosner, who is a fantastic producer who did Fruitvale Station up in the Bay Area. I really wanted to shoot it in the Bay Area. So hooked up with Rick sort of serendipitously. I was kind of trolling online and I was on IMDB Pro and came across his name and he actually has his contact information right there. So I emailed him and I was like, I don't know if this guy's ever going to contact me back. And to my delight, 20 minutes later, pop in my inbox was an email from Rick. I think that was on a Saturday, and by Tuesday, we were like, let's do it. So, you know, he really was a great resource in terms of getting together all the players who <clears throat> needed to be there to, you know, help me move forward. So I got a casting director and worked with her. I think it was it was a challenge to cast the role, for sure. And I had to come down to L.A. all the time to, you know, sit sit with my casting director and read these girls. And then I thought, well, in order to lend this project some legitimacy I need to really go after some big name to attach to it. And I had seen Cassie and Elways speak at the American film market, and I was like, "He's gonna be my executive producer. So he's a kind of a tough guy to get to, but that's kind of where my my gritty uh, sales nature kind of kicked in, and I just sort of stalked him into submission. <laughs> <laughs> you know he's been sort of a, a great ally ever since. Just great in terms of helping me to keep my headspace clear and and really kind of focus on what's important, which is telling the story in an authentic way. So today, like now, we, we shot the thing in October. It was a hellacious shoot, but a really fun shoot. I mean, I have to say being on set is probably some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. It was a 21-day shoot. You know, I had this old grip, Gary Gill, who did like the Matrix movies, and he's like a um, pretty big name in, in that world. <laughs> the first day he was like you want to shoot this in 21 days He's like look at all the fucking company moves you people are crazy it's not going to happen and we pulled it together and we and we made it happen you know I was really blessed with an amazing casting crew who just really bought in you know they really drank the kool-aid to you know birth this film you know we got it in the can and then went through the horribly painful process of editing I'm with my brilliant editor Jeff Castelluccio hey Jeff um, but actually he just got his first shout out in Variety. So nice. um super happy for him. But he you know, he really poured his heart and soul into it and we we just hammered at that thing and hammered at it. And so we are kind of in the final stages of sound mix now. You know, I was just up in San Francisco coloring, and we're gonna submit it to Sundance and say a prayer and just hopefully book our tickets to enjoy ourselves in the snow. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah.
0: We'll get back to Angie in a sec, but we want to give some voice to some of the great
3: people who help support this
0: podcast.
3: Production Next is a new platform that makes filmmaking easier. It does more than simply manage budgets, schedules, and shot lists. It gives you a single system that you can start using your first semester in film school and grow with all the way through your career. It gives you a place to manage your contacts, equipment, props, set dressing, and more. You can then take those items and integrate them into multiple projects and detect conflicts between them. Find out more and apply for the free closed beta at productionnext.com. Say you heard about us on Film Insight for quicker access. Did you know that Producer Foundry does more than just this podcast? We also offer workshops both online and in-person that are designed to help you develop your production company. Hone your budgeting skills with San Francisco's top UPM, who has worked with Tim Burton, Gus Van Sant, and many others. Learn how to pitch from a man who has been responsible for allocating over $3 billion in funding to mid-stage startups. Or explore the world of marketing with a leading transmedia expert. Videos of these in-depth workshops are available at producerfoundry.com workshops. Links in the description.
1: You know something? We don't just shill our own projects. We'll shill yours. We're for hire. Email sponsorship at producerfoundry.com if you'd like to inquire about sponsoring any of our events. Or this wonderful podcast. Talk to you soon. All right, and we're back. So, Angie, you said you had to hustle a lot and really exercise your sales skills. What was the single most audacious sales tactic you used to get to one of these big name players that a lot of filmmakers want to get to that very few actually do?
2: Most audacious? I don't know that, I mean, I've been known to be audacious in a previous life. You know, I would like park people into their spots and stuff like that and just kind of figure out what their daily schedules were. But, you know, with this, it really was just a matter of sheer tenacity. I think being pretty strategic in a lot of ways, believe it or not, what what does my film need? What's the type of person that it needs? You know, why do I need that person? And, And like I said, a lot of it was to gain some legitimacy. You know, you start to get access to a better pool of talent and the agencies start to pay a lot closer attention to you, they have someone cover you if you're attached to a name like Cassie Elwes. Mm-hmm. So that really opened a lot of doors. You know, I asked Cassie, and I'm like, hey, how come you said yes to me? And he's like, you were kind of crazy. You, <laughs> he kept coming after me. I mean, I just really had no pride, and just kept hammering him, calling and emailing, and you know, stuff like that. And, you know, he said, and I think this is true in, in any kind of endeavor, you just have to really be passionate about it. And I think people can read a lot of bullshit in that. If you don't really believe it, then why the fuck should they believe it?
1: That might be the best piece of advice we've heard on this show. Um <laughs> But uh, speaking as a producer's rep, obviously you're hoping for Sundance. Do you have any backups if you don't make Sundance? Sure, sure.
2: I want the thing to be seen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It would be a great honor and a privilege to show at Sundance. But there are so many different festivals out there. I think one is right for us, and we're right for one. You know, we would, you know, submit to Tribeca. We'd probably go international at Berlin. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think with Cassian's name attached, he... um, you know, he, there's a lot available to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think also we got his buy-off. I think <laughs> when he first screened the movie, when, you know, I locked picture. I'm like, all right, Cassian, I'm ready for you to come and see this. So he comes to my editor's house, which is where we're working and mm-hmm. fucking mowers blowing in the background. I wanted to strangle the guy. I couldn't even look at him. It's like, you're just terrified that someone's going to call your baby ugly. So at the end of it, he was like, yeah, I liked it. He's like, I was pleasantly surprised. I I really liked it. And, you know, gave some notes, but, you know, it was, was really pretty positive. And I think at that point, you know, we were talking about submissions and he was like, well, let's just see the movie first. I think, you know, he was like, I don't want you submitting some piece of shit with my name stamped on it. You basically just have to put your head down and create the best possible product. And the rest of it, you got to hustle and, and kind of pull into place. But I think if you get a few strong allies, they can really go very far in this business. But you have to get people's buy-off and, and in order to do that. You know, you got to be the real deal. You have mm-hmm. to really be telling it for the right reasons. You have to be telling it authentically. It's particularly terrifying for me because it's, you know, a lot of it is my personal story. You know, a lot of it is made up, but it's definitely inspired by events from my life and I think I think at some level people resonate with the sort of broken kid in that movie and the mm-hmm. sort of emotional pain. And, you know, what I try to do is really highlight the solidarity of the human experience and just show that through it all we're very, very similar and we go through very, very similar situations. And, and that's mm-hmm. sort of the glue that can help us to kind of like come together, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Other than the obvious reasons that there really aren't enough Asian people in hollywood in that aren't programmers or techies or i don't know there's a whole song about it i'm a nerd the dr horrible sing-along blog musical commentary track but um (laughs) other than that part of it was there a particular reason that the film being whitewashed was such that you'd rather have it never made than have it be whitewashed
2: uh, yeah, I mean, it was offensive. It would, You know, you would lose mm-hmm. a big part of the story, you know what I mean? I and mean, part of her story is the story of being the child of an immigrant, you know, the whole ethos of the whole Asian-American. And also it flies in the face of a lot of, of the sort of model minority, you know, stereotype. I mean, she's fucking mixing up drugs and she swears a lot. And I think I w- really wanted to show that range. For Miley Cyrus to play this role, it wouldn't be too much of a stretch, right? I mean, just in terms of our perception of her. And uh-huh. I'm sure, you know, she's actually a very talented young woman. And, you know, it would be great if I wrote a role that was like this for a white girl. Maybe I'd look at her, but it wasn't that. And I think a lot of it is not just what happens plot-wise. A lot of it is her motivation behind it. You know, it's a pretty deep character study. And, I, uh-huh. and I, But I also just really wanted to show that, Not all Asians are like that, you know, so it's pretty universal. We definitely qualified for the minority diversity break Uh, with SAG because, you know, we've got African-Americans. We've got, you know, your stereotypical kind of like blonde all-American girl. I wanted to peel back the layers and show that beneath it all, despite their massive difference, superficial Mm -hmm. differences, they're, they're all very much the same emotionally and, you know, the types of issues that they struggle with. But yeah, I mean, for me, I was like, there's no motherfucking way on the face of this earth that a white girl is going to play this role. And I think a lot of that is because, you know, I, I feel like if I'm in a position to make this movie and make it my way, I need to tell it with an authentic voice. And I also, you know, I feel like, why the hell would I whitewash it? You know what I mean? It's, uh, no, I... I was infuriated because I saw so many wonderful Asian actresses and, and actors come and read for me. And I was like, they never get a chance to fucking work. You know, they hardly, you know, it was disgusting to read the types of roles in their in their dossiers you know, sexy Asian slave girl. And then there was one who you got to put on some stupid ass fucking accent and make believe you know how to do nails. Like they were just gross stereotypes. And
1: I was like, you know, we need to bust out of that. That's crazy. Well, that's actually fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, Has my swearing stumped you? <laughs> no, I don't give a fuck. Um <laughs> It's more, I'm trying to think of if there's anything else we really need to ask you, but uh, I think it's just down to the closing, which is, uh, where can people find you?
2: Oh, you know what am I? I'm, uh, I am DB Pro. You know, I'm happy to engage people who, who are filmmakers, who want any kind of advice or just want mm-hmm. to bounce ideas off of me. You know, I'm thrilled to meet with other creatives and,
1: you know, kind of hold their hand. I feel like we need to support each other. I agree. Are you familiar with the group Film Fatales? I am not. You should look it up. One easy way to learn about it is to listen to our last podcast with Leah Meyerhoff. Okay. It's all about female directors banding together to help other female directors grow and grow their careers.
2: Nice. Yeah. I am talking to them at Sundance. I think if this movie does well or has any sort of following at all, I would like to talk about putting together a fund to help young women of color. I think get their voice out there because it's mm-hmm. you know it's hard. There are a lot of gatekeepers, but I think I think more and more I see a lot of fresh stories kind of breaking through, and I, I think there's a real market for it. I think people are hungry for for a little diversity and and for honest
1: storytelling. <laughs> there really is a market for it. Are you on Twitter? Would oh, you like a yeah, so shout out? So yeah.
2: Um, I'm so I'm a little bit of a luddite. I'm on Twitter. My handle is Jade Girl's Mom, and I'm on Facebook. There's a Cardinal X page that you can like, and I actually am one of the administrators, so you know mm-hmm. I'm pretty good about messaging people back and and, and engaging people at that level.
1: Okay. Well. Again, thank you very much, Angie. Pleasure talking to you. And good luck with everything you do. Please let us know if there's anything we can do for you.
2: I will. Thanks so much, Ben.
1: Okay. Bye. Have a great day. Bye.
0: What an incredible journey.
1: You know, Angie has a really interesting story there. She seems to have had more success with it than a lot of people who tried the same thing.
0: A lot of people think they can only go through one career in a lifetime, but She's really proved that you can utilize the skills of one career to jump into another and find success.
1: A lot of skills that we wouldn't necessarily think of as transferable very much are. People think of the film industry as a very specialized field, but it's not as much as you would think it is. A lot of good business skills fit in very well here.
0: And that's something that the Producer Foundry is trying to promote. You can use business and sales to build your own personal brand, create a production company, and ultimately make the films you want to make, tell the stories you want to tell, just like Angie did.
1: All of that is definitely true. There is one other thing I'd like to touch on. So I swear the uh, pasty white dude with blonde hair, with blonde hair... (laughs) are uh not gonna stay on the soapbox for too long but there really is a problem with diversity in hollywood
0: we've seen a lot on social media especially recently about you know hashtag oscar so white casting tilda swinton in a indian role for dr strange casting scarlett johansson in the new ghost Ghost in in the the shell
1: yeah i mean the whole thing is it's more than a little ridiculous i'm a big nerd. I don't know if any of you have picked this up yet, but not only did I get on the Dr. Horrible bandwagon super early, uh, I also watched the musical commentary.
0: Where there's a hilarious if painful song called Nobody's Asian in the Movies. Nobody's Asian on TV. But anyway, uh, the- Ben and I probably know the song better than we ought to admit. Exactly. Uh, But the
1: reason that she put it in there is that she wrote the role that Felicia Day played. And she was originally going to play it, but even in the indie thing, they realized they wouldn't get the viewership if the Asian girl played it.
0: And with Felicia's new celebrity status as an internet mogul, her web series taking off, they made that choice. And it would have been interesting to see a different kind of character in that
1: role. It would have been. And honestly, I'd love to hear that story and how the players in that go out. But I don't know if we rank Joss Whedon on our podcast. You might want to talk about it. We might be an outlet for it. Maybe. Or anyone on that crew. Not not just Joss. but.
0: So I think it's really important that Angie insisted on casting an Asian lead for her movie, especially since it was semi-autobiographical and speaking from her own experience. You know, we need to see more of that, and I applaud her insisting.
1: Indeed. And on that note... We're going to step down off that soapbox.
0: Thank you so much for listening to that episode of Film Insight. I have been and continue to be Evan Pleger.
1: And I have been and will be for at least a while, Ben Yenny.
0: You can check us out on producerfoundry.com, the meetup group producer-foundry
1: on the Twitter and the Facebook where you can find us. You can also find me at thegorillarep.com, at thegorillarep on Twitter, Gorillarep Media on Facebook, and my book, which is on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and is in the description. And
0: I'm Evan Plager. You can find me on Twitter at Indie evan, or you can go to my website, evanpleger.com. That's E-V-A-N-P-L-E-G-E-R.com. And I wanted to give a special shout-out to our sound engineer, audio podcast extraordinaire, Alex Nigro.
1: Alex Negro. He's
0: been an instrumental part of the podcast from the beginning has been editing our riffing and mistakes. Thank you for making us sound good Alex.
1: Seriously Alex you're amazing and we don't thank you enough but in any case we'll be back in two weeks Uh, as of this recording we don't know with who but we will be back with some pretty good guests who have yet to be confirmed. If you yourself would like to be
0: a Film Insight guest want to share your experiences in the film industry you can find information on that in the show notes.
1: So thank you and See you in two weeks.
0: See you soon. Ben and I probably know the song better than
1: we ought to admit. Exactly, and I think there's a karaoke track for it. But anyway,
0: we'll put us singing our rendition of "Nobody's Asian" in the movies in the show notes.
2: (laughs) Right. Uh, So, uh, Alex, cut that out, or we're doing. Please cut that out. (laughs) (laughs)